Well, happy Easter to everyone. It is uh, man, such an honor and a privilege to just celebrate this special and amazing event uh, together. And as always, we want to welcome our, our Boynton campus, and um, we love you guys, as well as everyone watching at Church at Home. Now, I know that some of you guys don't know this, but do you realize that we are literally right now in every single state in America? And so your, your Journey Church family is all over this country and many other countries, by the way, that are all experiencing and celebrating the most epic event in all of human history. And we are so grateful that you are uh, celebrating this event with us. Th this event, by the way, would literally change the world as we know it. I mean, something happened after Jesus not just died, but three days later and rose again that changed the disciples and who they were. It changed how they lived, the power in which they lived. It changed the Roman Empire. It changed the world as we know it, that there's something different that happened in the world. And today we're going to learn how the events of Easter, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, actually can change your life as well. Now, in order to do that, what we're going to do is we're actually going to look at a very fascinating question that Jesus asks. And, and I haven't been able to get this question out of my mind for a very, very long time. And this question is so profound when you think about it. Because Jesus finds himself in the garden right before he would go to the cross, the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the midst of the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying to his father and he asks dad a question. And the question that Jesus asks his father, when you understand the implications of it, you begin to understand what Easter is all about. You begin to understand why it's the most epic event in history. You understand why, based upon this one question, why it is that the Easter can actually transform your life. And here is the question that Jesus asked. He brought his disciples into the garden. He's getting ready the next day to go to the cross. He asked them to wait behind, and he went and got on his knees, and he began to ask God this. And here's the question he asked God. Going a little further, Jesus fell with his face to the ground, and here's the question, prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup, what's that, the cross, be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, what's the question that Jesus wants to know? Hey, Dad, is there any other way? Like, here he is on the moment. He's been building this up for 30 years. And now, the next day, he's going to be whipped, beaten, crucified. He's going to carry all of the sins of the world on them. And he goes to his father and asks a question. And the question, once again, is so profound. Hey, Dad, I just want to know. Like, is there a plan B, maybe? I mean, what, could, could we try purgatory? Just a little bit, maybe. They could work at DMVs for every sin, every year. <laughs> maybe they can get a job with Twitter right now. I don't know. You see what he's saying? Like, is there any other way? Well, we could try shock collars. I mean, every parent's thought of that, by the way. Boys, you know that. Just every time they mess up, we'll just shock them. We'll be good. I don't have to go to the cross. So if everything's good, I'll come back to heaven. It'd be great. I miss you, Dad. Come on. It's about that. Or, hey, what, what if, God, what if you just gave them some amazing rules to live by? And then you showed everyone who you were and how powerful you were by, like, like giving plagues, you know, against their enemy and then parting a Red Sea and then going on a mountain with all the smoke and giving them these commandments. And I'm sure, God, they'll follow you if you just told them what to do. And the question that Jesus asked here is so profound because what he's saying is, hey, God, is there any other way 
that I can rescue mankind, that you can restore your broken relationship with mankind other than me going to a cross and three days later rising again? Do you understand that, that what this question actually is meaning? That when it comes to Easter, when it comes to what's going on, there must be something so profoundly powerful and important and life-changing because I want you to see what God's answer is. Because Jesus gets up and he goes back to the disciples and then he comes back to pray. And by the way he prays, we see that God actually answers his question. Let's see if you can notice it once again. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will but you. Right here, look at verse 42. So he went away a second time and prayed. And notice what he said the second time. My father, what? If it is not possible. What, what, what did his dad say? He says, there's no other way. Do you notice that? Like in this moment, it's everything switch. If it is possible to know, God, it's not, it's not possible. So God, give me the strength to drink this cup, to go to the cross and do what you've called me to do. In other words, there's no other way to save us. There's no other way to transform us. That the events of Easter are so epic and important and essential. There's no way else around it. And I think this is so important to understand because sometimes we walk through holidays and we go, oh, it's just great time. We get to go to have meals together and we get to go on an Easter egg hunt. It's the one day a year that a man's allowed to wear pink, right? And so it's like one of these events we kind of get around. And what I want you to know is that something so epic and big is happening this moment that Jesus fathers like there's no other way other than your suffering and your blood and your death on a cross to do what I want to do in your life and in my life. And so here's what I want to look at today. So what was it? Like, what was Jesus up to? What was he trying to accomplish? What, what made God say there's no other way? And Jesus actually answers this question for us. He actually answered it a few hours before because he's sitting at a dinner table with his disciples and he actually tells them exactly why there's no other way. And he tells them exactly what he was going to accomplish and do. And when you understand this, all of a sudden you begin to realize all of the things Things that have been going into his life has all culminated to this moment and that there really ultimately is no other way. This is what Jesus told his disciples. Look at what he says. He says, in the same way, after the supper, he took this cup and this cup is a new, what's that word? Covenant in my blood. Sorry, I know it's a little graphic there, which is poured out for you. In other words, what Jesus was doing in the garden and getting ready to do on the cross was to establish a new covenant between God and you. Now, what is a covenant? Just for those of you who an unfamiliar word, um, a covenant is really a binding agreement between two parties. And, and um, what you discover in the Bible is God would often enter into relationships with people through these binding agreements or these covenants. Now, as, as humans, we do the same thing, don't we? Like when you bought your car or your house, you entered into a contract or a covenant between a bank and yourself, and you made your agreement that you would put this much down and you would pay for 4,500 years to buy a house in South Florida. Right? And then after you've paid 4,500 years, you could actually own your house or your great-grandkids could own the house, whatever. Right? But you entered into a relationship by signing an agreement where both people are responsible under penalty if they don't keep it. It's the same way with marriage. What did you do? You ended up falling in love and you go, I want to enter into a marriage covenant with you. So I'm going to forsake all others, my responsibility, till death do us part, sickness and health, the whole thing, right? And then I'm going to forsake all others, sickness, health, death, 
and we're going to enter into a binding legal agreement that we cannot break till death do us part. See, human beings understand the idea of entering into relationships through contracts and covenants. But here's the problem with human covenants and contracts, and a lot of you know what it is. Here's what it is. What is it? We don't keep them. Yeah, I know, bank, I told you I was going to pay for the house, but then all of a sudden, the market this, and then that, and then this. So here's what I'm going to do. We got a way out. It's called bankruptcy. You can have the keys. Here you go. Take it. Hey, listen, I, I, I meant till death was part, but I don't feel it anymore. And so now we're just going to get a divorce. See, see, the problem is, is that we enter into contract, but as human beings, we don't keep them, do we? That the problem and the flaw of the agreements between human beings is that we don't always make them. Has anyone ever been into a contract or an agreement with someone where, where someone else is broken? I'm just curious. Anybody ever had that happen? Yeah. Every one of us. Every one of us. That's the problem. Now listen to this. That's the difference between covenants with God and covenants with man. See, so if you notice what Jesus talks about in his covenant, he said, in my what? What's that word? In blood. See, when God would enter into contracts with mankind, knowing the brokenness of mankind, he would always enter them by means of blood. Now, why does that mean? Why was it the blood of an animal? It was because they believed that the life source of something was in a blood. And what God was saying is that this covenant agreement that I'm about to make with you is so important. It's not breakable. There is no exit clause to it. It's life or death. And by the blood being shed, what you're saying is this will happen to me if I break the covenant with you. And what we need to understand is, is that God has always, you can go all through time and you can see that God has always entered into relationships with people by binding agreements or covenants in blood between him and us. You can go back to Adam and Eve. Remember in the garden, for those of you that have ever kind of ever studied that whole thing, Adam and Eve are in the garden. God walks up to them and goes, hey, guess what? You can, you can live forever. You, you can go ahead and always stay young and never gain weight and you can never get sick and you can eat whatever you want and you can kind of do all that stuff and you're not going to have sickness or suffering and you can live eternity with me as long as the covenant, right? As long as you don't eat this, as long as you follow me and obey, I'll do these things and honor you. And by the way, the covenant ruled. And as long as Adam and Eve did that, the covenant ruled their relationship and everything in their life went well. But then God said in the covenant, but if you break this law, then you will surely die. You'll separate from me. You'll be aware once again of some of the brokenness in this world that you were not aware of. And Adam and Eve broke that covenant and the covenant ruled them. And what happened? They died. See what I'm saying? See, covenants, listen to this, they're not just spiritual that covenants with God actually affect every area of your life. Uh, same thing with Abraham. Remember Abraham? Abraham was like the father of all these nations. And one day God says, hey, I want to make a covenant with you. And we're going to kill some animals over here. Sorry for the PETA people. But like we're going to kill these animals over here. And we're going to have this like ceremony where you're going to walk between this, the blood of the animals to symbolize that I will never break this covenant. And you can't. And, and by the way, Abraham, you got to have a little operation as well. It's another side thing, this covenant. But... I'm going to make this covenant with you that you'll be the father of many nations, that I will bless you all throughout your life. And what happens? Listen to this. Even though Abraham was 100 years old and his wife is 90, the covenants ruled the relationship. And even though it was like scientifically impossible, God still moved within covenant. And he gave birth to a son. And then he became the father of all these days. See, see, covenants, listen to this. Covenants are how God enters into relationships with people. Covenants is how the world works. And what we need to understand with that is on that night, what Jesus said he was coming to do is, I have come to bring out a new 
covenant between God and you. This is a new way that God is gonna have a relationship with you and me. But here's the question. If, if Jesus has come to bring a new covenant, what was the old? Like what was the system of life that God would interact with people? What was the relationship, the way it worked between human beings and God? And the answer, many of you already know this covenant. It's the 10 commandments. Like remember God, he, he, the nation of Israel found themselves in Egypt, in slavery, and, and God sent this guy named Moses and goes, hey, I want you to um, invite everyone to what we call Passover, right? And I want you to invite over to a meal. We're gonna kill this lamb, this little lamb, put the blood on the, on the doorstep right here. That means you're a part of the covenant if you do that, by the way. And then we're gonna eat this meal together, a covenant meal, just like a feast after a wedding celebration, right? And I'm gonna be your God, and then I'm gonna take you out of the land of slavery. I'm gonna part the Red Sea. I'm gonna lead you to the mountain, and then I'm gonna give you the terms of the covenant. See what I'm saying? I'm, God's like, I want to give you the terms of how this new relationship's going to work. I'm going to give you the terms of this covenant between me and you. And I want you to see the terms of the relationship that God had given them. What were those? The Ten Commandments. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't covet. Like, you have to take a day off every week. Like, what a tough commandment that was, right? Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Hey, don't, don't bow down to other gods. Like, I, I need to be first in your life. Honor your mother and father. My, there are much boys right there. <laughs> Throw that in there for them, right? right? Don't commit adultery. So we all kind of know a lot of these things. And God goes, okay, here's the rules. If you will follow these rules, this is your part of the covenant. Let me show you what I'm going to do. And I want you to see that covenants are how God works. Look at, look at God's promise. Here's the covenant. If you fully obey the Lord your God. Do you notice the conditional side of the covenant? Like, here's your responsibility. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you. Where's that word again? If you obey the Lord your God. And then he lists out what God promises to do in his covenant with us. Here's what he says. You'll be blessed in the city. I'm gonna bless all the infrastructure, your business. I'm gonna bless you in the country, everywhere you go. The fruit of your room, your family will be blessed. The crops of your land and the young of your livestock. The calves of your herds. This is all of the things that would take care of you. And the lambs of your flocks. Now here it continues. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated. He will be your protector, your provider. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send blessings on your barns and everything you put your hand to him. And then he says this, the Lord your God will bless you in the land he has given you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people. And as he promised you on this oath, right? This is the covenant. And there's that word again. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. Here's one of the things I want you to notice. Do you notice that spiritual covenants aren't just spiritual? They govern their businesses. It governed their family. It governed their relationship. You see, the, now I want you to see this because so often we think of spiritual covenants like, well, that's just like church stuff. No, 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 no. That's their business. That, that's how God protected them. That's how God blessed their family. They're everything that they have, the fruit of the rooms, all of these things that are going on. And God says, here's my covenant with you. If you will do these things, I promise, and I cannot lie, I will do all these things for you now. Notice the next part of the covenant. This is the part that kind of messed things up. But, however, if you don't obey the Lord your God, if you don't actually carefully follow all the commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you. And he reverses every single blessing that he just had said. 
In other words, hey guys, if you get to the point when you go, you know what, um, God, I love the Sabbath thing. That's great. Like one day off, take a week. But man, you know, it's kind of a beach weather and it's a nice day on the Sabbath right now, Lord. So I know what you said, God, but I don't want to fully follow what you said. So I'm a, I'm a seven day a week person, not a six day a week person. Like to take a whole day a week and like say no to my coaches and all the chores and schoolwork and just devote myself to you and rest. Like, God, I know what you said, but I'm not really sure. He goes, if, if you ever get to that point where you don't fully obey, if you ever find yourself in, in this moment, where you're like, God, I know what you said about marriage and all that stuff like that, but I don't, I don't want to kind of do, that's kind of old fashioned. You put these boundaries. I don't really agree with those boundaries. I'm going to do things my way, God. So I, I'm not really going to do marriage where you say that, that I should not do marriage, God. So I, I, I'm, like, I'm not going to fully obey you. Hey, God, we assess the other, like, other God thing. Like, you don't understand. That's, that's kind of narrow-minded to not, like, let other people believe what they believe. And who am I to judge them? And I, like, I, I wouldn't want to offend anyone by saying, like, you're the only God. So I, I just, like, I know what you said, God, but we're, we're okay in our land if we're not going to just have one God. Do you see the principle? And here's what God says. If you ever do this, because the covenant cannot be broken then what will happen is, well, all of these curses, everything that I promise, the opposite will take place in your life. Now, here's what I want you to understand about the power of the covenant, is you can now look, and you can go back in history, and you can track it, and you can look at the nation of Israel, and you can see how the covenants always ruled their lives. Never just spiritual, every part of their life, their business, their agriculture, their nation, their economics, their savings, their emotional health, their families, their children, their land, everything. It's not just spiritual. These covenants went everywhere. And so as they begin to follow God, God began to bless them. And they begin to have like, every, they begin to be delivered into a promised land, a land they didn't even build. And it's just flowing with all this amazing stuff. And like, wow, God, you're awesome. God made them so rich. Listen to this, that it says in the days of Solomon that a stone was the same value of silver. It was like, like everybody was, there's never been a nation like this. There's no poverty. There's no one without. Everyone has excess and God did his part, fulfilled the covenant. God sent angels to fight battles for them and remove enemies and anyone that came at them would flee in seven different directions just like he had said. God gave them incredible government and leadership. Solomon, the wisest king, where other rulers from other lands would travel all over this earth just to sit at the feet of the king of Israel to learn from the wisdom of God. They had the best educational infrastructure you could imagine. They had a perfect environment. God blessed them in everything they did. The covenant of God began to rule their lives and bless them, just like he said, because God can't break his covenant. But because God can't break his covenant, guess what also happened? Well, because of their turning their back on God, which they did over and over again, because they didn't want to follow God or obey God, and they began to compromise over and over and over again, then the same thing began to happen. Once again, covenants are never just spiritual. It affects every arena of your life. And so they're enemies that came in, and the enemies they once defeated with God's help, God removed his protection from them, and these enemies defeated him. And even though they were the wealthiest nation, they became the poorest. Even though they were the most powerful, they became slaves. Even though they, they had all all of this land, they lost everything and they were kicked out of their land. And if you can look at the history of, of the Jewish people and what they went through and you look through all the moments, you see the same pattern over and over and over and over again that God always did what he said he would do. And when the people did not obey the Lord, they, were, they suffered and they went through problems. And when they followed God, then God would bless them and return them. But the problem with the covenant between them and God was this. 
mankind couldn't get it right. In fact, look at this. I want you to see this. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. In other words, this law that was intended to be like good, like, hey, don't murder, don't steal. I mean, those aren't like too difficult, by the way. Hey, could you just not kill anybody, please? We'll just start there. But, in, but instead, what happened is because of our weakness, it actually became this burden. And humanity, listen to this, I want you to see this pattern. Humanity began to have this problem because even though the law could tell you not, what not to do, it didn't give you the strength it didn't give you the ability to actually be faithful to it. And so what took place is mankind started entering in this pattern with God where they would sin and they would mess up and they would feel like failure and they would feel guilt and they would feel shame. And then they would say, God, forgive us. We're so sorry. And then a few minutes later, they would repeat it again and they would do it again. God, I promise never going to do it again. And I, I learned my lesson now. Okay, God, I did it again. But God, I'm never going to do it a third time. And God, okay, God, I'm never going to do it a fourth time. And they went in this pattern over and over over again, all throughout human history, where people would live in this pattern of guilt and shame and judgment and separation. And God, we're so sorry. We're gonna, okay, we can't get this right. And it happened over and over and over again. And here's what you discover about the old covenant. God could not break the old covenant with mankind. And mankind could not keep the old covenant with God. And we found ourselves in this constant moment. I don't know if you've ever been there with religion where you feel never good enough. I'm never enough. I can never get it right. I always feel like I'm letting someone down. I always, I swore I would never do it again, but I did it again. And there's where mankind found themselves over and over and over. And in that night in the garden, Jesus was on his knees before his father. And he said, dad, I just want to know, is there, is there any other way in this old covenant we can get this right? Like, is there any other way that humanity can, with the laws and the rules and maybe a second chance or a 50th chance, is there any other way under this old covenant that you cannot break and they cannot keep that humanity can be okay with you and connected to you and experience salvation from you? And God's answer was no. Because the problem with the covenant was it was based upon our ability to perform and we never can. And what began to take place is we lived in this separation with God. Guilt and shame. Religion became a burden instead of this relationship we enjoyed with a heavenly father. And in that moment, Jesus got up from his knees praying to his father and says, Therefore, give me the power to do your will, God. I will go bring a new covenant between you and them. That's what Easter was about. It was about fixing something that we just couldn't get right. It was about making something better that just wasn't working between us and God. That's why there's no other way. In fact, I want you to kind of see some of the differences between this new covenant that Jesus is about to enter us all into and the old covenant. Look at what the scriptures say and notice how over and over again, the Bible always references it's salvation is not just about a forgiveness of sins. It's a new way to connect with God. Listen to what the Bible tells us. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one. See, what Jesus is going to do is actually better than the old covenant. For the new covenant is established on better promises. 
Like, I want you to just see the heart of God. God loved us so much. He loved you so much. He didn't want there to be anything between you and God. He knows that we are imperfect as human beings. He knows we struggle to get it right. And he goes, I'm going to create a better covenant, a better one than the old one. It's going to have better promises than the old one. And notice what else about this other covenant. It says, it will not be like the covenant I made with the ancestors. It's not going to be like the old one. When I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful, right? What's the problem with the covenant? The problem with the covenant is that we couldn't get it right. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put, well, look, at, look at this covenant. I love this. It's not going to be like the old one. What does that mean? It's not going to be conditional. The weakness of the old ones is a condition of us getting it right. Well, the new one's not going to be conditional. I want you to see it. See, that's why the Bible says things like, um, there's no condemnation in Christ. That no, no height, no death, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Because the new covenant that Jesus is bringing is no longer conditional. Listen to this. It's not just unconditional. Notice how personal it is. He says, I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. It won't be religion. It's going to be a relationship. I will be their God and they will be my people. Those, I want you to understand what is Jesus going to accomplish? Why is there no other way? Hey, I need to establish an unconditional relationship with you because we can't do conditional very well. I'm going to establish something that isn't just a religion, but a relationship where I will be your God and you will be my people and my relationship will be on your hearts. It won't be something you just follow and obey. It'll be something you will feel and you will experience. By the way, this is why the scriptures say what? We become children of God. The new covenant helps God be our dad, not just our judge and our king. This is why the Bible says you will feel him, right? That the spirit of God will move in you because your sins will be forgiven. And now God will literally dwell in you and you will be the temple of this God in this new covenant. You'll be the child of God in this new covenant. Jesus is, God will be your father. You'll be the co-heir with Jesus. You are going to be in a family with God in this new covenant. Listen, as we continue to read, um, then I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. It's gonna be a covenant that's unconditional and on grace that has forgiveness, not judgment. By calling, and notice this last part, by calling this covenant new, what happened to the old one? He has made the first one obsolete. I will no longer judge you by what you've done. That old way of seeing yourself between this God of performance, of you getting it right, God loves me, and if I don't, God hates me. That old way, it's, op it's not how God operates anymore. Remember, covenants are not just spiritual. They govern everything in your life. And so this new covenant that Jesus is there on that garden getting ready to accomplish is an unconditional covenant of grace and love where God becomes your father. You become part of a family. Your forgiveness of all of your sins, your wickedness is remembered no more. It's not about guilt and shame and weight anymore. It is a covenant of grace that is unconditional, not dependent upon you. Now, here's what I want you to see. And if I could just get your attention for this morning, anything else right now, those of you watching at church at home or listen, you gotta hear this. Because if you get anything at all from today, this is the paramount moment I want you to see. I want you to see what makes this covenant so special and different 
and what made what Jesus did so essential to it. And when I said to you, hey, is there any other way? Hey, listen, Easter can change your life. I want you to understand why what Jesus did in Easter transforms everything in this new covenant. Look at these three verses, and I want you to kind of see if you can notice who is the heartbeat of this new covenant of our own salvation. Okay, let's look at these verses, and we'll see this. Um, Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, what is a guarantor? A guarantor, I want you to see this. A guarantor is someone that if you can't make a payment, you're legally bound to cover it for them. See, I'll never forget this. It was many, many years ago when somebody actually came to us and asked us, hey, hey, we're trying to buy this thing. Would you be a guarantor for us? And I know what that meant. Because what that meant was that this individual, who, by the way, had a long series of financial, you know, not great dealings, which is why they needed a guarantor, that if they didn't make the payment, guess who had to? I did. I was legally responsible to cover any debt that they incurred. And in this new covenant, who is your guarantor? Jesus has become your guarantor which means when you can't get it right, or you didn't get it right, or you don't measure up, who has to carry the guilt or the weight of it? Excuse me, not you. Jesus has to cover it, doesn't he? You see, I want you to see what's what's the difference about this covenant. I want you to see how important this is, that Jesus is the guarantor of this covenant. He's the one that steps in when you can't get it right. And look at the second part. I want you to see this. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Okay, whose blood paid for the covenant? Yours or Jesus? Who's the guarantor of the covenant, you or Jesus? Jesus. And look at the third one. But, but the fact the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs as the covenant of which he's the mediator is superior to the old one. What is a mediator? A mediator stands between you and when you fail and mess up and God or any judgment that might be there. That Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the guarantor. And Jesus' blood is the one that paid for the covenant. Here's the question I want you to start to see. This is where I hope light bulbs start to kind of go off in your head and you start to understand why all of this was done, why there was no other way, what happened was so epic. Here's the question that I want you to process for a moment. Who did God make the covenant of your salvation with, you or Jesus? Jesus. And here's where I want you to think about this. And I hope maybe some light bulbs are gonna go on in your head and you're gonna understand things in your faith you didn't understand before. So God wants a relationship with you and me. And so he tried to establish covenants with mankind, but everyone he established, what did mankind do? Well, we're imperfect, we couldn't get it right. So what did God do? Did you ever wonder why God became man? And God would send his own son to be born as a man, both fully human and fully God. And this son of God, yet son of man, would live out the old covenant that we could not keep perfectly, thus fulfilling it, dying on the cross, thus ending it, and then shedding his blood to enter into a new 
covenant with his father as the son of God, but also mankind? You you start to see the light bulbs go off here? What does God do? Hey, I need this relationship with man. I gotta get in a covenant with man, but every time I get in a covenant with man, they mess it up. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna have my son become a man. He's perfect. He won't mess it up. He'll never get it wrong. I'll have him represent mankind. He's gonna make a brand new covenant with me and all of them are gonna get in it and it's gonna be an eternal covenant. They can't mess it up. They can't break it. Nothing will come before that and his blood will cover all of the failures and he'll be the guarantor and he He will be the mediator and his blood will be the one that pays the price for the brand new unbreakable covenant. Do you realize why there's no other way? Do you realize in the moments of Easter when Jesus is on his knees like that, is there any other way? And his father said, there's no other way. And so Jesus stood up and walked to a cross and poured out his blood so that you and I could enter into a new covenant that was no longer dependent upon us getting it right. That God loved you so much that he himself had to orchestrate all of the events from Christmas to Easter, to 33 years of his life, to the suffering of the son on a cross so that he could be your father, so that he could forgive you of all of your sins, so you don't have to be defined by your past, so you could have the presence of God in you to give you the strength to overcome the struggles of your life so that he could call you his daughter, his son, and spend eternity with you. And all of this took place because Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane got up and said, very well, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And I will shed my blood to purchase them forever and ever and ever. which leads us to the final thing. So what's our part? I mean, God did a whole lot of things with Jesus. They've been planning this for a very long time. But what do we do to get in on this brand new covenant that's no longer dependent, that we don't have to live with the guilt and the shame? Listen to what the scriptures say, because this is one of the most beautiful parts of the covenant. This is why the Bible calls it the gospel or the good news. Look, Look at this. For it is by grace, meaning we didn't deserve it, that you have been saved or entered into this new covenant with me through faith, through trusting in what Jesus did for you. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works. It's not conditional like the old one so that no one can boast. What do we do? We go, Jesus, you did this all for me because I couldn't do it for myself. You loved me so much, even maybe when I didn't deserve it, that you died for me to enter me into this new relationship with my Father in heaven. And so all I'm gonna do is place my faith and trust in what you did as my Lord and Savior. That's all you have to do to enter this exactly. Do you see what God's done for you? 
Do, do you realize when we talk about things like salvation, it's like, what do I need to be saved for? Well, we, it's, it's not just about salvation or forgiveness. It's about a brand new covenant. It's the way that God governs everything in this life, in this world. It changes your identity. You're a child of God. You're a new creation. You're forgiven. The past is wiped away. You have God as your dad. You have God inside of you. And what I want to do right now for everyone watching it, church at home or Boynton campus or in this room. We ask that no one move. This is a sacred moment. But Jesus went through all of this so that we would have an opportunity to enter into this covenant with God for what his son has done. And so I want to add, we're going to kind of bow our heads right now and we're going to have our campus pastors come out at all of our locations and we're going to lead you in a prayer. And I just ask that no one moves for any reason. Because right now, especially even if you're watching at church at home and you're sitting there thinking in the living room, you're fine, you're good, I'm gonna go get the turkey casserole. Listen, you don't know who in your family might need this. Everything's on the line in this moment. If you're not, if you don't trust Jesus, you're still under the old covenant. You still don't have this right. It's it, everything is online with you going, okay, God went through all of that because there was no other way. And with every head bowed, what I want to do is give you an opportunity to enter into this new covenant that Jesus paid so dearly so that you could, so that you could be adopted as a child of God, forgiven from your sins, made right forever and ever and ever, and call God your Father. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for everything that you are and all that you've done. Jesus, that you would endure and you would go through all of this just to save me, to save them. God, that you would love us so much that you would do all of this just to be with us. Today, I pray, Father, for all of these people that are your, that you love, that you begin to open their hearts, they begin to surrender their lives to you and place their faith in you and enter this brand new covenant that you shed your blood to them experience. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.